We welcome a band called Awesome Hotcakes to the stage of Phoenix Theater, led by Spike Sykes. This group probably plays more shows than any band we've ever had on yeah. this show. <laughs> it's soul, it's brass, it's R&B, it's Awesome Hotcakes. And uh, tonight we'll get to know Spike and the rest of the band, and later they'll play a set of music. Please welcome to the program, Awesome Hotcakes. Welcome. Thanks Thank you for, for having us. Thank Huge thanks for having us, yeah. So I want to start off with a hardball. It's going to get out of the way. It's going to start with a hardball. All right. It's just fine. It's fine. It. I wouldn't even bring it up, but it's on the website. I really wouldn't if it wasn't on the website. On the website, you have a quote from a drunk fan that goes as follows. This band is absolutely incredible, but what a terrible band name. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So what I would like is a stirring defense of the band name. You got, you got it. So um, in the very beginning, I used to play shows, uh, duo shows, with Ron Charlesworth, who you've had on the show before. He plays drums for the Blind Barbers, yeah. and he runs a music store up in Healdsburg, Speed of Sound. Fantastic drummer. Uh, and he and I were a duo, and we would change the band name every gig. Um, we would just make stuff up. And one day I was in San Francisco walking down the street. What were I, some of those names before you tell us that story? Uh, let's see. I think uh, Spider Pig was probably oh, one of them. That's a good uh, one. Why didn't we keep that? Yeah, that's a name. <laughs> we weren't uh, Peekaboo Street, you know, was probably another one. Um, Roadkill Coneheads, you know. And this was why? The, well, we, we just hadn't found something that stuck. Okay. And we were kind of like, you know, nobody knows who we are anyway. So we can, <laughs> we can just try names out. Do you like that it's polarizing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, the fact that somebody would uh, bother to tell me that they hate the band name is probably like evidence that it's a good one. Spike, you're central to this project, right? I mean, you, you write the music, is that correct? I do write the music. I, I'm interested sort of in like the moments that have made you the man and the artist that you are. And now you, you were in a military family, right? So you moved around a lot. How do you think that affected who you would become? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it just made me the kind of person that um, it didn't take a long time to settle into an area. You know, my parents always told the story of, like, we showed up in some town that we had moved into, and I just got out of the car and said, hey, kids, I'm here. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that my whole life has been a little bit like that. You know, it's like we move into some new town. You don't kind of wait a long time to try to go find gigs and kind of, you know, like I was saying earlier, you don't just kind of wait for it to happen to you. You have to go out and and try to grab it. And, and you yourself were in the Coast Guard for a long time, too. Um, so there were some circumstances that happened. The economy crashed, uh, not to summarize your life for right. you, but um, y you did that. And, and did that play into the musician that sits at this table now, that time? Because it was almost a decade you spent in the Coast Guard, right? Absolutely. I mean, the stuff that I picked up from being in the Coast Guard, I would say the main thing was that... Uh, how hard we had to work, especially the first couple of years I was in the Coast Guard. I was on a boat for about a year, and I uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, well, if I can get up every day at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning and go wash dishes on this boat, you know, for this crew of sailors, and, like, be gone from my family for months at a time, and, like, kind of get bounced around, and, you know, if I can do with, if I can deal with all that stuff, then 
when I get out, I, I know where the bar is at as far as like how hard I can work. And so I, I, I need to put that kind of effort into playing music. I do want to go back to baby Spike Sykes. Young man Spike Sykes. I, I, it would be uh, interview malpractice if we didn't talk about what you did as a child. You, uh, you, you like visited Berlin before the wall came down when you were a lot younger, right? You, uh, you heard the, the Pope speak on Christmas Eve at the Vatican. You did a Bing Crosby impersonation for the owners of a small motel in the Alps. This is incredible stuff. <laughs> I, think, I, yeah. think, I think you're talking about Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to tell people that, um, you know, gosh, I, I, uh, I hoped that the rest of my life wouldn't be really boring because I probably did more stuff before I was 12 than most people get to do their whole life. And that's not really an exaggeration. I mean, I lived in Korea when I was about three and then we moved back to the States. And then a few years later, when I was coming out of kindergarten, we moved to Germany. Which Korea? Uh, we lived in South Korea. Timely, timely question. That's you know. where I got all my soul, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, because oh, there's yeah. a place. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> oh, Different oh, spelling. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, oh, don't know if you all caught that. S E O U L. Thank you very much. But yeah, when, I, we, when we were living in Germany, I was uh, first grade through third grade, and because my dad was in the Army band, they, they didn't just play you know, shows in Stuttgart, they played shows all over Europe, and uh, I would go on the road with him, and, and if, he'd, if he wasn't traveling uh, with the band, we would travel as a family, and we traveled almost every weekend. I mean, we would just like, get on the train and go somewhere, and uh, so yeah, uh, we, uh, my dad ran in the Berlin Marathon, and that was before the Berlin Wall came down. So he went both sides, east and west Berlin. And uh, we were with him on that trip. And we went into uh, East Berlin, you know, and did the whole go through Checkpoint Charlie and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I remember the look of the cars in uh, East Berlin as being, you know, all, all the cars were kind of uniform. <laughs> it was it was weird. Um, I remember, you know, these really kind of ominous uh, soldiers everywhere, you know. And um, how old were you at this point? I, that was when I was in the second grade. Okay. Yeah. And around the same time, we went uh, to Rome for Christmas. And yeah, I went to the midnight mass. And, and there he was, <laughs> the big man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, you know, gosh, getting to live in Germany as a, as a kid, I, you know, you don't know that that's not a thing that everybody else doesn't get to do until you're older. You know, and I remember we moved from Stuttgart, Germany to El Paso, Texas after that. And it was like the culture shock of coming from there to there was, you know, massive. <laughs> it was like, I kept thinking like, when are, when are we going to move? But we, we didn't. And uh, I actually, now I love, t you know, El Paso, um, but yeah. And so we'll, we'll just do one more rewind on your life before we get to, you know, awesome hotcakes. My God, this is the awesome hotcakes. So, so. You can, you can keep uh, folks in. This is, awesome. is this yeah, news to you? Did you all know, did you all know all this, this stuff? This is fascinating uh, okay. stuff. Of it, yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it, yeah. but I'm not in the band. I feel like the Spike Sykes, uh, like Ted talk or like motivational speech would be really good. <laughs> <laughs> and in that same vein, I just learned today that you are one of the worship leaders at a church here in Petaluma. What a remarkable thing that is. Um, do you, I mean, what led you to that? Have you always been somebody who would do something like that? Would, you know, basically like try to get in front of people and try to inspire them? Or is that a more recent development in your life? 
Well, I guess going back to the uh, the family connection, like my dad is a worship pastor. That's his vocation now, uh, and he he has been for almost thirty years at a church in El Paso. So, um, I kind of grew up playing music in church, um, and so when we moved here and we started going to uh, New Life Church in Petaluma, um, it wasn't too long before I kind of got the itch to to be involved in the worship teams there and um you know i started out just playing bass i think and (laughs) so your your work is mostly musical or do you address the crowd oh i do both yeah Yeah. now i mean it uh it wasn't immediate you know but uh, now i uh yeah i write worship songs and i i uh help lead a team uh that uh leads worship there one sunday a month so. And so you, you, you kind of craft what you're going to say to the people and all that it's not, at times? Or? Well, you know, most of the time, I'm not, uh, I'm not much of a speaker. I, 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 mean, I think you're doing great, by the way. <laughs> I, yeah. not, I mean, not, I'm, when I'm playing gigs with the band, I'm not, I don't do a lot of speaking. And when I'm uh, leading worship, I also don't, I don't do a lot of talking. I'm, you know, they, they've got some uh, extremely skilled pastors to do all that stuff. Mostly, I, I try to uh, keep what I'm saying as uh, in line with um, with just being real, you know? Like, I think people, they can tell if you're kind of trying to phone it in or if you're being fake, and so it's like, I, you know, if I have something that I that's on my heart that I feel like I want to say, I'll say that. And if I don't have, you know, for lack of a better word, like a, a message to bring, I'm hoping that the music uh, can do that. This was all just a setup for me to ask you about, like, if you ever did one that you just felt, like, connected and was just, like, the home run of the sermons to the people. (laughs) Uh, Because I think your description for what makes it effective is 100% right. People can tell when you're being phony. They want you to be real. Well, I can tell you that the one time that I did have to address a large group of people at our church was not in the context of a Sunday morning like worship service. Um, Our uh, new life was a a shelter uh, for the fires a couple years ago. And um, towards the end of that kind of whole whole ordeal, um, the church had made the decision that they were going to have to transition from being uh, a shelter to being more kind of like a resource center. And uh, I was volunteering there at the church and I had the, the task of basically breaking the news to the people who are being sheltered there that we were going to be, that that would be the last night that uh, the church was going to be a shelter. And just trying to reassure them that, like, it's not like we're kicking you out. It, we have another place for you to go. This is kind of the plan. Um, but that was definitely one time where I felt like, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit really did all the work. I mean, I just, I basically was like, I was given this uh, task and... Uh, you know, I, it wasn't my uh, ability to speak that kind of carried it off. It was kind of, it was, it felt like something outside of me. Because you, you, you do organize music for a congregation of people in a, in a very different way than you do with Awesome Hotcakes. But there's undeniable overlap between how you program something you're playing to a room full of people who are there to worship and a room full of people who are there to dance. And I just wonder, like, if you have any thoughts on that. Because you, in both projects are creating a program for people to have a, a, an experience. You're putting something in front of people to make them feel an emotion. That's a huge task. 
And I, undoubtedly, you've thought about it. So I, I don't know if you if you could share about that task and and I don't know how, how you are effective in that role. Well, I I don't know how effective I am, but I uh, I will say that I think it's all about connection. Well, I've right. seen people dance at Awesome Hotcake shows <laughs> on multiple yeah. occasions, so I can tell that you're effective on the, on the Awesome Hotcake side. He's effe- he's effective at the at the church as well. And, yeah. And, yeah. And the the thing with Spike is. He's very authentic. I mean, and obviously it's because he likes things that are authentic, right? And uh, he doesn't do a lot of talking there, but he does write specific songs from here. You know, one of the songs that he wrote uh, that we've played at the church uh, more than a few times is uh, I Didn't Bring You Here to Fail. And, uh, and that song pretty much every time floors the place just people connect with it and they connect with it because he didn't write it i I don't think from a point of hey this would connect with people it was more of this is what's happening to me now and this is how i feel about it i mean you could talk about that song but that song's gone over really well there and also at at cots i was gonna say almost the exact same thing was was it's not written to produce an emotion um in a calculated sort of way right yeah, and you were saying that it's it's almost that you were expecting it to be some somewhat different the two between uh, addressing a congregation and, and playing worship music for the congregation, but the, in, in many ways they're incredibly similar similar performing for an audience and trying to create authentic experiences for people, and it's, and I mean the, sometimes we play some of that music that we play in front of the congregation in in our performances, and it gets. A really strong uh, response. The same, the not maybe not the same way for 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 the people that are listening, but um, the the authenticity in the performance is it's there regardless. So maybe I shouldn't speak for you. I wouldn't <laughs> think that you wrote them to produce an emotion as much as just wrote something sincere, and it produces an emotion. Right. I mean, I think. Um, well, so when it comes to songwriting, the, like the when when the stars align for you, right? When when it really comes together, it's a it's a combination of like like work that you've put in to be able to kind of catch that thing uh, real quickly, because usually it's a real fleeting kind of deal, you know, creating that that sound or or catching that lyric. Um, I used to tell people that it's kind of like you know if you're, if you're trying to learn how to sketch you're trying to become a good artist you sketch a, you know something that's stationary you, you do still life over and over again so that when you know the butterfly lands on the windowsill you have the skill to catch it really quick you know and um, I think that with songwriting you know sometimes I write just to write just like I need to write for the practice of it but sometimes, you know, the, you get that kind of moment that's like a really, the inspiration is there. There's something that's happening in your life that's like, that's very real. And you want to be able to convey that. And, you know, um, I don't want, I, just, I feel mostly like I just really get lucky. And, uh, you know, I kind of try to put it out there. And if it, if it really connects with people, that's what you want. Yeah, and my question just 
you know, it, it wasn't like, I think that you're being cynical and how you craft these things. Like, Ooh, how am I going to like extract the most no, no, no. out of these no, people? I didn't take it that way. <laughs> yeah, no. I didn't take it that way. I just think that, you know, as a performer, y- you tend to get a grasp on like what gets the people going more and what gets the people going less. And that even sounds weird to hear myself say, it, but you understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it sounds like, you know, your response is, yeah, the thing that works is to be real. And if you're real, everything kind of figures itself out from there. If you're real, and I think also, especially when it comes to um, worship music, if you are, if you're extra vulnerable, you know, it, like, um, you know, not shy away from saying the things that are kind of like the richest and the, and the, you know, really kind of dig down into your, into, you know, do some soul searching. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people can sense that. I think if, if because what happens with uh, lyrics is that um, if they're too clever, yeah. then they appeal to someone's mind. They, they kind of go to like, oh, well, that was, that was a cool metaphor or that was a, you know, but cool metaphor is not the same thing as, you know, um, I have a, a, a lyric for one of the songs where I say, um, hold me like a little child. That's not a, uh, an overly poetic uh, phrase, but it's packed with vulnerability. You know, like to be a grown man and to say something like that is, you know, people, people resonate, with, I think, with that kind of honesty. Yeah, I mean, from doing this show, the best episodes are the most vulnerable ones. You know, it's where people get on and, and are real. The, I find not that there's ever a bad guest. I love everyone, but I find when people are more performative, and they're tr- they come on with an idea as to how they're going to try and come off, you can tell very quickly that that's happening. So I would when, love to hear a definition of the word "real" <laughs> right about now. <laughs> what are we talking about when we say the word "real"? Not a marketing ploy, right? Yeah. It's not an advertisement. I mean, just telling personal stories about about yourself and 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 uh, presenting what is going on internally, externally, and and um, maybe stuff that you wouldn't um, necessarily let bubble to the surface. You're letting yeah. that come out, come forward, and and expressing that to an audience. Yeah. And an audience, I think that that realness, that authenticity, is what people re- resonate with the most because a lot of people feel like they can't necessarily share what's going on up here and to see someone get out in front of uh, a crowd and just kind of not just tell it kind of kind of yell it and just uh, express it in one of the most heartfelt ways uh, imaginable is like that's that's real does that surprise you when you are I mean, I'm not the one that's that's yelling the stuff, but I do do a lot of yelling through a trumpet. And, yeah, uh, you do, Zach. Actually, you're <laughs> fun to watch play. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I I I, th- I think I, in my personal playing, I do try and present a realness that I I have going on internally that is that is reflective of what's going on in my life. And some some people, um, hopefully, pick up on that. Some people are are just digging the music and I, I I'm, I'm down with that too yeah does that get to be uh, something that is natural after a while you're you, 
you set out to be real. You want to make sure that you're coming from a, a, a space, space that is true. And I think it takes a little, does it take exercise and work to get that first? And does it become more natural as you do it more? Um, well, in my experience, what it actually takes is a kind of, um, like a kind of weird, like, uh, two things that don't seem like they would go together. So like on the one hand, you have to kind of give up any sort of expectation of how something is going to go. Like you have to give up like a lot of ego around it and just kind of go like, I'm just going to do this thing and not think about it. But on the other hand, you have to, after a while, start asking yourself like, are, are you becoming kind of a caricature? Like are you, like are you, uh, are you putting on a show because you have, you have realized that certain real things that you're doing, like that, that's, that, that, that they work, you know? And, um, and so, you know, you try to throw a little kink into that, uh, into that system and kind of change things up. It's something you have to strive for every day. It's not something that's going to come naturally. It takes work. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. To your point about uh, realness, and you used this word earlier, soul, um, you wrote to me in the lead up to this that soul is something you're interested in talking about because you get asked about it a lot. And I feel like there's overlap between realness and soul. So anything you have to say on that? Well, I think uh, like we, we do this one song where I kind of uh, uh, imp- lyrically improvise and I talk about this visit to, uh, to a Supercuts here in Petaluma. And it's, I talk about how I was reading this book about soul and, uh, you know, I had spent all day at the beach, so my jeans were still wet and they had the door open to the supercuts and the wind was coming in and, and uh, it was sending shivers up my spine and they were playing this really terrible music in the barbershop, you know, and, uh, and it was wrecking, you know, the, the whole vibe was wrong. And then all of a sudden this song by Alicia Keys came on and like it all lined up. I mean, the, the kind of, uh, you know, you want to talk about like a mystical experience, right? Or a soul moment. Like that's, that's what I, I felt like that I was having. And I thought, well, it's kind of ridiculous that it's happening at a Supercuts on like a Tuesday. But that's, I think that's kind of how soul tends to work uh, is that it's, uh, that you can't, you can't really uh, create it, you know, because soul is coming from, it's coming from, uh, from outside of you for sure. Um, but when it comes to music, I think that soul is that thing that you, you sense in a person's sound that is kind of that indicator, like, oh, this is, this is real. Like this person means it. And it doesn't have anything to do with like style of music. I'm not talking like only soul music or only, you know, R&B. I mean, you listen to the difference between somebody like Yo-Yo Ma play the cello and someone else play the same thing. Yo-Yo Ma has all, all, all this skill, but he, he's also bringing all of this oh, yeah. soul to every note. I mean, he's, he is hanging it, you know, out, out there uh, on those notes. And, that, and that's, um, that's the thing that fascinates me. It's like, how do you get to that spot in your art where uh, your sound is you? And your sound is connected to your soul. And that's the thing that I think when people listen to somebody and they, f- and they feel something, that's what's happening. Is that it, it, it's kind of like, here's your soul, and there's their soul, and they're kind of, they're resonating together. I mean, they're, they're like, oh, I'm recognizing that, like, 
the realness in what in what uh, in what's happening. Does anyone have anything else to say about this project, this experience? No, just uh, thank you mostly. I think for I, having us. I definitely want uh, Marie to have a chance to talk about the Sonoma Jazz Girls, which ah. is this incredible program that she is a part of, and that uh, um, you know. I, when I remember, which hopefully is more often, I try to plug that whenever we're out playing because I think that it's it doesn't get a lot of uh, attention uh, as a topic, but and uh, but I I think that uh, it should, and I also think that like the kind of exposure that this band is getting is doing a lot of the things that that Marie uh, would like you know to see happen in the world of jazz and. Uh, of greater inclusion of women playing in music. So, yeah. Tell us yeah. about it. Well, the the timing of Spike asking me to play in this group, I don't know if it had anything to do with my starting that class, if you even knew about it back then. Um, anyway, I started this class for girls because I realized that the numbers hadn't changed since I was in high school. Um, and it just hit me, hit me like a ton of bricks and I was like I'm gonna start this class so I did there were 17 boys in your high school jazz class and there were three girls uh that was the all-state honor jazz band yeah my senior year of high school so those kids from all over the state and there were three girls in it and at the time that didn't seem like a big deal to me I didn't think twice about it and then um I found out that in the last four or five years there were either one or zero girls in it um at the all-state jazz band so i thought well i'm gonna do something and i'm gonna start this class and just give the girls a little extra time with improv so that they would be more confident cool. in their class classes or wherever they went um and and it was very close to that time and i hadn't played jazz since i i quit halfway through college because of this very sort of issue this male dominated situation yes. you had somebody who implied that you got into the music school because of non-musical qualities yes i did yeah and at the time i don't think i realized how much that affected me um but when things thing after thing happened you just don't want to be around it anymore and i didn't think oh i'm going to face this sexism and i'm going to keep going i just thought i don't feel like being here um, and so I quit and I continued, I got my degree just in doing classical and, um, I gave lessons and I taught band and, um, then this thing happened where I, I found out about the numbers and I thought I'm gonna start this class and I tried to get my chops back in shape. And it was very close to that time that Spike asked me to play in the group. And I don't think, um, I don't think... I would have been ready at any other time. To your point about realness earlier, uh, you just described it. When you left the school, you were like, I just don't want to be here anymore. It wasn't until 20 years later that you, you started to examine the real reasons, which was the pervasiveness of sexism mm -hmm. and just women not being made to feel welcome. Yes. That's, a, that's, that's a real analysis of what happened, and then you decided to do something about it. So what a remarkable thing that is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for giving the prompt to it. I'm yeah. glad that that makes it in this yeah. episode. Yeah, and I'm very thankful for all of the people in this group who are fully supportive and and um, yeah, always try to give me a chance to talk about it. If you'd like to know more about it, message Awesome Hotcakes or call Music mm -hmm. to My Ears, which is where the class happens. Yes, so, yeah. please do. Yeah. 
Does anybody else have anything to say before we end the awesome hotcakes episode of On Stage with Jim and Tom? Just a huge thank you to you guys yeah. for having us. This, thank you. This has been uh, like a real treat. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, thanks Come so out and enjoy with us. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> so I was like the drunk guy, okay? I was, I, <laughs> I was a little skeptical about this band because of the name, I'll be honest with you. But when I saw you play, I thought, oh, yeah, we've got to have this band yeah, on stage. Yeah. We've got to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all for being a part of this tonight. Thank it is, you. It is an thank incredible you. band. And, you know, like we said, it, it feels like this band plays half you know, the nights of the week. And I think that people should go out and check it out because it is fun to watch and it's fun to watch people dance too. That may even be one of the better parts. <laughs> it's just to go and watch how much people dance yeah. and how wild they get because this resonates with people. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you guys. And in just a moment, the listener can also dance because a set of music from Awesome Hotcakes yeah, is next. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Satchmo sing. 
Jacks and the Hannah James and the Miles Davis And I'd listen to them on my Walkman every day I used some old longs for dough in the summer Well, it hardly felt like work at all When I could listen to the masters play Time was a set tank Bum, 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 bum,